This is The Corner Series, a McGuire Woods series exploring business and legal issues prevalent in today's private equity industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. Thank you for joining another episode of The Corner Series. I'm your host, Jeff Cockrell, partner at McGuire Woods. Here at The Corner Series, we bring together thought leaders and deal makers at the intersection of healthcare and private equity investing. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by two of my partners, Jason Cowley and Ben O'Neill. They both uh, are partners in our government investigations group. And we're going to talk some about how government investigations can touch the private equity funds. Uh, it's become a hot topic of recent, um, and we'll jump right into it. But uh, Jason and Ben, can you give a quick introduction of yourselves? Yeah, happy to. And thanks for having us today, Jeff. So I'm Jason Cowley. As you mentioned, I'm one of the partners in McGuire Woods' government investigations and white collar practice. I joined the firm a few years ago after spending about 13 years in the Department of Justice. And uh, for a big chunk of that, I was uh, both in as a line assistant and then ultimately ran uh, the securities fraud unit for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, uh, which is known for doing a lot of uh, interesting financial crimes cases, uh, including in the private fund space involving hedge funds, private equity funds, and the like. So this is a subject matter that I I dealt with uh, while I was in government and uh, now uh, deal with it on on the other side in private practice. Yeah. Hi, and this is Ben O'Neill. Happy to be with you guys. I'm also a former federal prosecutor. I was at the fraud section in Washington, D.C., I bring some background in, in particular, healthcare fraud enforcement. I did a good bit of that while at DOJ, along with corporate securities fraud and foreign bribery. And I joined McGuire Woods in March of last year. So while kind of interactions with uh, DOJ is uh, not something that uh, any platform wants, from a private equity investor perspective, historically, that's been viewed as a platform issue. And it can be profound, but it's pretty separated from the PE fund. Of recent, the hooks from the DOJ and FTC and other governmental arms have been reaching out more directly to the private equity funds. Can you guys comment on that? And am I correct that that is a bit of a sea shift from where we were before? Yeah, Ben, you want to uh, have the first go with this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think really in the last three, four, five years, you've started to see the government both in civil kind of false claims act type cases and then you know even in the criminal space try to reach beyond the portfolio company to go at the investor it, itself the private equity company itself on the basis that that is the entity that's that's really profiting and so there's a whole list of factors that the government will look at when making a determination about whether to sort of extend liability up the chain but I think it came as a bit of a surprise to people um, when this began, but I fortunately don't see any signs of this slowing down. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, in fact, as recently as earlier this month on the 7th, uh, the White House made an announcement about launching a uh, cross-government public inquiry, uh, is how they phrased it, into, quote, corporate greed in healthcare, end quote and actually call out private equity firms. They refer to private equity firms specifically 
and talking about issues you know, relating to antitrust and, and other issues. So it's something that the um, you know, the government very uh, specifically and explicitly is aiming at sites on these days. In response to that, are there changes that private equity funds uh, should make in how they think about kind of managing their investments? What should a PE fund do? Great, great question. I mean, I think there's a lot of different aspects of kind of best practices. And you know, one thing that's obviously relevant and critical is in the diligence phase. Uh, so when you're thinking about acquiring a particular company, uh, there's a lot of different uh, lenses I think you need to, to employ when doing that work. So you want to do that work, obviously, from an antitrust perspective, from a, a perspective of sort of how you're setting up your level of oversight and sort of direct management of the entity and the level of diligence you want to employ in, in you know, making sure there's no skeletons in the closet, so to speak, in the portfolio company that you're thinking about and acquire, acquiring or, or investing in. You know, that's some initial thoughts as an overview. And I know there's been some recent DOJ guidance on corporate acquisitions that's got some relevance into this space that, uh, that I know Ben knows well. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a policy pronouncement by the DOJ that came out in October of this past year. I mean, this DOJ has been issuing policy pronouncements on like a monthly basis, but this one in particular, I think, got a lot of attention because it was really squarely directed at M&A transactions and leniency in that space. And at bottom, what it says is if a company identifies wrongdoing and an acquired entity and it discloses that wrongdoing to the department within six months, it can get what's called a, a declination, which is like the most favorable resolution, which basically says the government will, will not prosecute the company for the wrongdoing. And then the company, once it's done that, it has a year to actually remediate or, or, or fix the, the conduct. But I think this has a ton of potential to be an important program for DOJ and for private equity because it does provide some insulation from instances where unbeknownst and really through no fault of an acquiring company, it comes across wrongdoing. You speak of uh, wrongdoing a bit like it's a binary assessment. Right. When I'm working on a deal, you, you find something and, and you realize that the target or something where in the, the background of the target, they made a close call. And we make lots of close calls in shades of gray. And you're trying to look at the shades of gray and figure out, well, how dark is this shade versus uh, some other way of approaching that? How has the market approached this question? Do these kind of pronouncements and pathways shift at all how either uh, legal practitioners or private equity funds should think about how they assess uh, shades of gray? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you look at the cases that have actually been brought and sort of what was the focus, you can see that there's a level of intent, I think, behind the conduct. So purely innocent kind of, this is a close call. We're documenting all the reasons we think it's okay. This seems to us something that based on pronouncements, based on policy, based on other cases, we think is on the up and up, you can find yourself in decent shape down the road. So I think it's a really fact-based inquiry. I mean, I share your concern. It's not perfect and you're, you're, you're having to make tough calls about what does and, and doesn't cross the line. 
But I think there is enough out there that can kind of guide you as to whether, all right, this is something where we really think the company being acquired, someone has stepped over the line or kind of gone beyond innocent intent. I would just add to that, you know, I think is in reference, you know, a lot of these are just judgment calls, but as we often counsel clients, you know, sort of the, the question is, is, you know, in particular in acquisitions, you know, would you rather be sort of dealing with or addressing this issue now and trying to, to put it to bed, or would you rather main, maintain the risk of a DOJ or the like knocking on your door, you know, a year from now, once the transaction is completed? That's a uh, cost-benefit analysis, I think, that, that is specific to the facts, specific to the context. But you know, if there is an appetite to, to try to address any sort of potential exposure that an acquired or to-be-acquired company brings to the table, some of these recent policy provisions provide a, you know, a good sort of formalized process, if you will, to provide some expectations and clarity as to, as to what the outcome might be. It's a little intimidating in the context of a transaction, uh, especially if there was a kind of shades of gray call by the target. It's difficult to insist that full out disclosure become a part of the solution. Every kind of uh, historic regulatory risk has a couple features. One is kind of magnitude. The other is probability of something happening from it. And uh, disclosure brings that probability to 100% when it certainly wouldn't have before. How are you seeing buyers kind of react to that calculus and sellers? Yeah, great question. I mean, from my end, it's a, you know, it's a lot of discussion on some very relevant subject matter areas. So how old is the conduct at issue? Do we think it it crosses the line? Do we think it's something that the DOJ might have interest in? If we sort of what the implications are for each road one might go down, for example, what would a penalty look like in a world where there was some sort of reporting of of this, and you know how how much bigger would a penalty be if if there wasn't? And you see, you know, you have the ability to do some you know, creative problem-solving thinking with respect to these issues. I've personally seen, for example, uh, the nature of investments change, where um, you know, instead of putting in a uh, you know an equity stake where you might be the majority equity holder, instead it might be you know some sort of debt-based investment or something like that to kind of limit the investor's exposure to some of the risks there and being on the hook for some of the financial liabilities. So it's, it's an assessment of the risk at issue. And then I think it's some, you know, some upfront problem solving as to, you know, what's the best structure here in addition to kind of making the decision about whether or not to self-report any conduct. Is there a way of structuring the deal to, to mitigate risk as well? And Jeff, I would just add, I think that what makes this new policy unique is very clear as to a declination, sort of a a complete walk away by DOJ is the result. I mean, I think in the context of other self-disclosure discussions, it's really much more gray. Not only do you have the gray of the conduct, you have the gray as to, okay, if we report this, what is the likely outcome? Because there are instances where companies have, have self-reported and then ended up with a really harsh penalty. So I think the aim here at DOJ really seems to have been to provide a significant incentive for, for self-reporting. You get certainty that, as Jason said, that no one's going to show up knocking on your door a, a year from now. 
And certainly not a situation anybody wants to be in, but it is, I think the aim was to really give a, an outcome that is palatable to someone who unfortunately kind of stumbles onto something once they've made the acquisition. The posture of the government is not static over time, meaning there's degrees of uh, how aggressively the government is pursuing things and th- that can ebb and flow. From where we sit now, certainly the posture is more aggressive. Do you think that that is emanating from kind of the civil servant side of the government, meaning the agency as a whole, or is that emanating more heavily from kind of the political leadership and political appointees? And if your thought is the second, does changes in administration uh, lend itself to kind of rethinking that posture from the government? It's a great question, Jeff, and I think there's a lot to to unpack there and think about there. Certainly, I think you see a really heightened enforcement emphasis in this administration compared to the last administration in this space. That can be driven by a lot of things. Uh, you know, one thing that I know, you know I think drives uh, at least the SEC and the DOJ's thinking on this. You know, based on public statements of a lot of political appointees is the financial reality of sort of how much money flows in the private equity deal space. You know, for example, I think private equity deals in healthcare exceeded a trillion dollars in 2021 is one metric that we've seen. You have an entire enforcement division within SEC as management division that focuses a lot of its time and energy in the private fund space. So you see an emphasis that I think is driven by the economic reality of how private equity is taking on an increasingly larger role in our economy. And certainly you you see that uh, coupled in announcements that are being made as high up as the White House, in addition to DOJ, um, Department of Health and Human Services, uh, FTC, you you name it. Uh, So it certainly is a... um, a time of great focus on private equity. Yeah, I think no question. You see this, Jason mentioned this pronouncement from the White House. Uh, it's hard to read that as anything other than, than political, given the environment. And, you know, it's interesting in some ways. I think everyone had the impression that under President Trump, enforcement would be down, corporate enforcement. But actually, you know, 2016 to 2020 was a very active period um, in enforcement. And I think, Jeff, it goes to the question you raised, right? It's oftentimes you can have words coming out of the mouth of a political appointee or someone sort of at the very top of the Department of Justice, but that doesn't always line up with with what the people on the ground are doing. And, you know, the work's not going to stop if we have another President Trump administration in the fall of 2024 or the beginning of 2025. In enforcement activity will that's ongoing will will still be ongoing. And so I think there will be some policy tweaks and you probably might see some different types of pronouncements. I think that's for certain. But I don't think the actual nuts and bolts of prosecution is going to change all that much. A lot of the pronouncements, whether from kind of state officials or letters from senators, they paint a picture of private equity investors that is very foreign to me. And it paints kind of uh, 
incentives and single-minded, aggressive approach that is inconsistent with what I actually see in private equity funds, who, in my experience, have a much more holistic view, uh, especially in healthcare investing, of being very, very interested in controlling costs in the macro level, very interested in patient care, patient access, uh, and often private equity gets portrayed dimly against those metrics. What do you think private equity funds uh, and the industry can do to rehabilitate some of that, uh, either in the macro sense as an industry or in the particular context of a specific deal? Great question. I mean, I think I'll maybe take the start with the latter in terms of a particular deal. From our perspective, what we often try to do when we're involved is Think about what is a potential interaction with a regulator or the DOJ going to look like in two years if this particular acquisition or the conduct of the underlying company is ever going to be put under the microscope? And how can we paint a picture of a very responsible investor? And there's a lot of different ways of doing that. So, obviously, a very thorough and well documented minute diligence process, I think a very thorough and well-documented commitment to compliance, commitment to motivating patient care and high-quality deliverables for the underlying customer, i.e. the patient, in a way that two years later, you can present that to the department or a regulator and say, look how careful and thoughtful we were with respect to these hot button issues. And we understand you're now around and are looking into this, but we want to show you this evidence documenting what a responsible corporate citizen and investor that that we've been throughout this transaction. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning, I mean, when you look at instances where this has gone badly for for a, a private equity holder, A lot of times it's about the incentives that have been set up for the portfolio company, right? And are the incentives aimed purely at increasing profits or can there be other metrics? Can you look at patient care and some of the other things that you mentioned, Jeff? And so I think to Jason's point, being able to point to, look, we weren't just focused entirely on profits. This was this acquisition. There were relevant factors that went far beyond that. And we did what we could on our end to incentivize good conduct from the portfolio companies' executives as they were coming under our umbrella. And that, I mean, a lot of times these cases really do come down to what was the person in charge incentivized to focus on? Was it purely dollars and cents or, or were there broader implications? Yeah, that, that's consistent with the advice that I uh, give platforms and private equity funds of uh, at every level. And I don't mean this cynically. I mean it holistically at every level and every part of the process. Make sure you know what your values are and make sure that shines through in how you talk, what you incent, uh, uh, everything. That improves a lot, uh, both what you and your people will do but also uh, how it'll be reviewed later. And the, the second piece that I counsel platforms on is to really, in numerous arenas, really, really understand where your risk frontier is. And if you're talking uh, antitrust, maybe that's your managed care contracting team. And, and if that's your risk frontier, then make sure that everyone that is engaged in those areas has a clear understanding of 
kind of what the boundaries are, what the rules are, how they need to think about these topics, and just really engage in training and understanding by the people who are actively engaged in your business at that specific risk frontier? Yeah, I think no question. I mean, I think it's, as you said, I think you've used the word holistic. I think so much of what DOJ focuses on, it's in a little bit of a different context, but it's this notion of tone at the top. And if you can point to all the ways in which you were setting the right tone for the your portfolio companies, I think that serves you really well down the line. One last question. As you look forward, are there areas that you anticipate will be heightened areas of inquiry in the next uh, year, two years that maybe have been less now, or is it going to be more and further engagement in the same? Yeah, I think there's a few different subject matter areas where you're going to see continued and enhanced scrutiny in the private equity space. Some are things that are already on the radar. I think both in the False Claims Act space and in the antitrust space, you know, which are, are relatively, it's no secret that those are areas where various government agencies are focusing on private equity. I think you're going to see a continued emphasis on that. I think that uh, you, know, you see that playing out in a lot of the cases being brought, a lot of the resolutions being brought that you know, maybe five years ago might have been just against a portfolio company and are now you know, they're including the, you know, the private equity investor with, with respect to those. You know, I think in addition to that, you know, one other area that you know, you'll see you know, some interest in is you know, representations around you know, value of different positions held in portfolio companies. The DOJ and the SEC have been active in the past in the hedge fund space with respect to overvaluation allegations about investments. And you see that increasing, increasingly applied to the private equity space. So, for example, there's a major matter that came out of SDNY a few years ago, the Abraj entity, which was a huge private equity entity based in Dubai. Um, there was a number of allegations um, brought by the DOJ there, you know, including you know, an overvaluation of its positions in, in particular companies. And you know, that's another area that I'm confident that the SEC and the DOJ are out there trying to make cases and you know, set examples with respect to. You know, ben, I don't know if any others jump out at you as particular areas of enforcement. I mean, I think the government and, and the, the DOJ has actually been sort of remarkably transparent about what they're focused on. <laughs> and a lot of times they sort of enforce through fear, right? Because they feel they can't police everything after the fact. But I think they've been clear about their priorities. I have no reason to think the focus that really strict scrutiny on antitrust issues and sort of really deep involvement by a private equity firm in the day-to-day of portfolio companies. And sort of, we talked a little bit about incentives, but you know, setting up systems that could lead to submission of false claims, that type of activity, I think will continue to be pretty squarely within their, their crosshairs. Jason, Ben, I think we'll uh, wrap it there. Certainly an interesting uh, and timely topic, and I really appreciate you guys uh, joining me. Uh, uh, Thanks a ton. Our pleasure. This was a, a great conversation. We appreciate it. Glad to do it. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Corner Series. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. 
By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.